murder lovers. This is Fadina. This is Bree. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Okay. So we have snow in we Portland. We have snow. This is pre-recorded before the week of Christmas, but you guys are getting it the Monday before Christmas, so yep. it's feeling real extra festive in the podcast yes. lounge. It's right cold now. too. It is cold. It's cold. I know we've got space heater on and I've got yes. my big coat on and um but it's great. It's cozy. I know I'm looking at the window right now. There's actually snow on the rooftops and snow on the trees and it's just like beautiful. Like That's I want cute. a little deer to come across right yes. now. <laughs> We don't get this in the middle of Portland, no. but... No, we get coyotes. Yep. <laughs> we get coyotes. Hope you're having a good start to your holiday season. Yes. Sit back. Well, not if you're driving, but... <laughs> don't I mean, close you lean back. <laughs> lean um, back a little. And enjoy the case that Bree's covering that I don't know anything about. What are you covering? Um, This is going to be in the spirit of Christmas. This is a Christmas massacre. Oh, shit. Yes. (laughs) In the spirit of Christmas. In the spirit of Christmas, massive murders. (laughs) Um, So this is dubbed the Covina Christmas Massacre. And if you guys have been listening to the podcast from the beginning, or if you're a new member and you've started from episode one, you're going to remember us touching on this, well, Fatina and Mackenzie touching on this back in December of 2019. So it was part of a 12 Days of Christmas feature of Christmas Murders. So we're going to go much more in depth and give you all the nitty gritty details about what happened during this Christmas party. That's sad that any case is like Christmas. Yeah. It's just like the happy, like I couldn't imagine wanting to kill my family members during Christmas. Literally. So, yeah. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Literally. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Well, I mean, and I can see how like holidays are iffy for some people. Trust me, I've been there too. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you get in your feels. But it's, uh, I mean, some people get way into their feels. Yeah. Yeah, it's an 100%. So, I'm ready for this. All right, let's get into cool. it. So, twas the night before Christmas, <laughs> and amongst all the fun, the Ortegas never imagined that Santa would arrive with a gun. Was this you? I did that. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I read it to Tyson, and he was like, good job, babe. It's like, thank you. I'm pretty proud of myself for that one. <laughs> this is fucking great. <laughs> So we're That's gonna... how I know you and Tyson, because I was like, that could have been Tyson, because it's corny, but I know you guys have been married for so oh, long no. now that it's like, mm-hmm. nope, <laughs> it's I together. came up with that all on my own, yep. <laughs> no credit there. <laughs> no credit you. there. That's fantastic. But I did get his stamp of approval. Can I get it again? Which, <laughs> you want me to say it one more time? For those in the back. <laughs> for those in the back. All right, here we go. Remix. <laughs> "'Twas the night before Christmas, and amongst all the fun, the Ortegas never imagined that Santa would arrive with a gun." That's great. Terrifying, but great. Pretty terrifying. (laughs) Yes. Not how you want to picture old St. Nick. No, and not a Nerf gun. And it's not a Nerf gun. (laughs) Most definitely is not. So, for this Christmas, we're going to go down to sunny California, Covina, which is about 22 miles east of L.A. Oh, yeah. So, kind of in that area. 
And we are first introduced to Joseph and Alice Ortega. They are having their whole family over for Christmas on Christmas Eve. This is December 24th, 2008. And so their five children and their and all of their family are coming over for Christmas Eve. It's a favorite holiday of theirs. They, yeah. they do it big. They love celebrating. So their five children are James, Charles, Leticia, Alicia, and Sylvia. And in total, once all of their, you know, their whole families arrived, they've got about 25 people at Dang. this Christmas. So not a small family gathering. That's a lot of tamales. <laughs> that is a lot That's of a tamales. <laughs> Delicious, yes. but you're preparing for weeks. So on this Christmas Eve, you know, the family is, you know, doing kind of the normal thing. They play like a really enthusiastic game of Texas Hold'em amongst all the adults. You know, they've got the pool and it's California. So you can still be outside like running around having a good time. So the kids are all playing outside. Their oldest grandson, Michael, is upstairs being a 17 year old playing on the computer, (laughs) not wanting to mess with all the little kids stuff. So... And coming down for food periodically. Basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, you know, they're, they're doing their thing and it gets to be around 1130 at night. Everyone's getting tired. They're ready to go home, tuck the kids into bed, get ready for Santa Claus to come yeah. in the morning. So a, a, a good amount of the family members are gathered by the front door at this time. And there's a knock on the door. And so Leticia's Eight-year-old daughter Katrina goes and answers the door, and it is like a dream come true. She opens the door, and Santa Claus is standing there with a wrapped present under his arm. Okay. And Katrina's like, Santa, Santa. Well, little does Katrina know that within seconds, Santa Claus pulls out a handgun and shoots Katrina in the face. Oh, my God. Little eight-year-old? A little eight-year-old. Wow. So he shoots Katrina in the face. He also has an additional three nine-millimeter handguns on him. Santa three is coming. Guns? Full, three guns total. Oh, wow. Yes. So he's got the one handgun, and then he's got two additional ones with him. I mean, at this point, pure chaos yeah. ensues. Um, many adults are at the at the entryway getting ready to leave so they're some of the first people that are shot but other parents are running out to the backyard to grab all their other kids to get the hell out of there the ortega's son james is the second person to be shot and he is initially just shot and injured the ortegas joseph and alice their three daughters and a daughter-in-law run into the dining room and go to hide underneath the table, mm. which is not really going to do you. No, but if you're a California, if you're California born and bred, though, <laughs> any emergency situation, you go under a table. It's an earthquake technique. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now that now that totally makes sense. Yes. And the shooter is just kind of shooting indiscriminately into the house. Oh, you shit. know, just firing wherever he can. And then their son, Charles, recognizes the shooter, even in his Santa suit. And he says, it's Bruce. And then Charles was shot. You might be asking yourself, who the hell is Bruce? Right. Bruce is the ex-husband of daughter Sylvia. Oh. 
So Charles is shot. He's injured. The other brother, James, is shot, but only injured at this Uh point. They try to pursue Bruce to disarm him and take him down. Oh, nice. But they were ultimately shot and killed. Oh, fuck. So... You know, this little Katrina's been shot. People are running. People are hiding. Leticia's cousin Chapa claims to see Leticia make a break for it from hiding underneath the table Mm. when she actually sees eight-year-old Katrina stagger out of the house. What? Yes. By some miracle, despite having Katrina been shot Close range to the face. To the face. You said face, right? Yes. They think that she initially probably laid down in shock, but when he shot her, she had turned her face with just enough time that the bullet only grazed her jaw and her cheek. Oh, crap. So in that split second, she literally dodged a bullet. Yeah. She later goes on to, um, you know, go to the hospital and have a surgery on the wounds, and she does make a full recovery. Okay, good. So eight-year-old Katrina does make it out of this massacre alive. But unfortunately for the remaining Ortegas, that's not the case. Leticia does make it out of the house because she goes and sees her daughter staggering out and she makes a break for it and she does get out of the house but the two sons the daughters and the parents or the grandparents depending on the relation um all the remaining ortegas were killed once bruce has been satisfied with his shooting spree he reveals the wrapped quote-unquote present that he arrived with under his arm at the front door He has brought with him a homemade flamethrower, and this thing is intense. We'll we'll get some pictures, and I'll send them to Fatina so we can post what this crazy-ass contraption looks like. Um, But it is hooked up to spray 18 gallons of gasoline into the house. And not only does he have this flamethrower, but he's also brought with him two additional tanks that he's fused together to be able to make this massive explosion in the house. What the hell? He's... That's not light traveling. Like, that's... Full guns ablazing. And, like, I really had to, like, go and reread a bunch of different sources about 18 gallons in this flamethrower. Because that's a lot. I mean, you think about a propane tank that you hook up to your grill. Yeah. That's five. Yeah, that's heavy, too. So this is, I mean, it's massive. And in some pictures, it doesn't look that big. But then there is another picture of them recovering this and taking it in as evidence later on. And it's fucking huge. Yeah, that's a lot of weight. It's huge. So, and of gasoline? And of gasoline. Wow. So Bruce is getting this explosion contraption, homemade, you know, yeah. flamethrower all rigged up. And to his surprise, a lit flame in the house causes a premature explosion. <gasps> There's like a candle lit or something oh, like that. okay. And catches whiff of the gasoline that he's... The fumes and stuff. Yes, the fumes and everything. So this left Bruce badly burned, and he immediately fled from the property. Oh, no. Sorry. <laughs> like the burn part. Like, oh, no. Oh, no. 
Yeah, so he got a little uh, early surprise. Yeah. And the explosion happened. I mean, fuck with fire. Mm -hmm. You're going to find out. You're going to get burned. Yes. So during all of this, a couple 911 calls come in from the neighbors. One for the initial gunshots that a neighbor hears. And then another for the fire. And Leticia, the Ortega, one of the Ortega's daughters, Katrina's mom, also makes a 911 call after she fled yeah, from yeah. the house. Okay. Understandably. So let's dive a little bit into Bruce Pardo and yeah. finding out what makes this man do the things that he decided to do on this lovely Christmas Eve. And dressed up as Santa. And dressed up as Santa. What a dick. A ho, ho, ho. <laughs> For show. When you're on, you're on, man. You know, sometimes I'm really funny. Sometimes. My husband will try to tell you differently, but um, I'm hilarious. So. Some would say you're the Bree's knees. Yeah, some, some might say that you need your daily dose of vitamin Bree. That's right. And I'm here to give it to you. So, Bruce Pardo, uh, this lovely gentleman, was born March 23rd, 1963 in Los Angeles. He was actually a very smart guy. He went to college at California State University, Northridge, where he graduated with a degree, I believe, in engineering, because Mm. after he graduated, he later got a job with ITT Tech as an electrical engineer. And in 2004 is when he met Sylvia Ortega. They dated for a couple years and eventually got married in 2006. Now, Sylvia comes to the relationship with Bruce with already having three children from a Mm. previous relationship. But it's said that Bruce um, had a really close relationship with her five-year-old daughter. He really, like, took to her. And being an electrical engineer, Bruce made great money. I bet. He made over $100,000 a year, so the family was living very comfortably. They lived in a half-million-dollar home. They were very involved in their church. Sylvia did bring in some income, but she only made around, like, $30,000 a year. So she she was holding down some income, but Bruce was obviously the breadwinner. And, you know, amongst all of this, they really, on the surface, looked like they had a very bright marriage. Yeah. Good jobs. Already had three kids involved in their church, living this pretty, you know, normal life. But as a lot of these situations start to unravel, they did have some marital problems. And one of those things was that Bruce refused to have any sort of joint accounts with Sylvia. Uh Uh-oh, red flag. Super big red flag. And he's also said to have expected her to financially care for her three children. Despite them being married and him being the breadwinner, he expected that her income go to taking care of her own children and not really have any of that money that he made yeah. contribute to the care of that, which uh, I, yeah, you marry I a woman with three kids. You like, know well, that's you weird. Yeah. You should know what you're walking into. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be, if, if you don't think of those children as your family, then you're doing it wrong. Totally. Yeah. 
I mean, if that's, you're not loving them, you're taking on that responsibility right. as part of marrying their mom. Right. But I mean, I, I get. It's not a habit she came into, you know? Exactly. It's not like, oh, you have a gambling problem. Right. Only spend the money you make on gambling. Exactly. Bitch, they're kids. Exactly. Yeah. And three of them. Right. Not just one. So he never treated the kids like they were his own, despite having even the close relationship with the daughter. Yeah. And eventually divorce was filed in June of 2008. And Bruce was ordered to pay Sylvia $1,785 a month in spousal support mm. and a $10,000 um, and and an additional $10,000 as part of the divorce settlement. Oh, okay. So the initial settlement plus that, that monthly spousal support. Sylvia ended up getting to keep her wedding ring, which I'm sure was a very nice wedding yeah. ring with the kind of money that he made. And she got to keep the family dog. But according to court documents, Bruce complained about the the amount of money that he was required to pay Sylvia because when they divorced, she moved back in with her parents. Mm. She wasn't paying rent. And she was allegedly kind of living like this lavish lifestyle with the money that he was giving her. She was going on trips to Vegas. She was going to nice dinners, um, getting massages, taking golf lessons, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure he was just butthurt about the situation because 17, or we'll just round it up. $1,800 really is not an amount of money to be like, living not lavish a amount. lavish lifestyle. No. But, you know, she's not paying rent. I'm sure from his perspective, he's looking at this like, I don't need to she give her anything. Really well. She yeah. still has a job and she gets to take spousal support. You know? Yeah. They're not even my kids. <laughs> right. Either. Yeah. You know, but I don't know. I mean, good for her. <laughs> Good for her. That's came, what I kind of thought too. She came out really well on that, but I can see how he would have been, like you said, butthurt. He was seeing her, you know, maybe living happily because she wasn't unhappy with him anymore. Exactly. So that's the difference between her being happy and unhappy. She's doing things she likes and doing things that make her happy, mm-hmm. and it's not with you. Right. So bye bye, Bruce. Take that, Bruce. But for Bruce, fortunately, unfortunately, he ended up getting fired from his job about a month after they settled all of this because he was caught billing clients for false hours that work wasn't performed for. So the court suspended all of his payments because he lost his job. So he had like a month of paying this $1,800 and kind of got his wish. To not have to pay that anymore. But this whole divorce and financial situation is believed to be a big motive behind this massacre God. on Christmas Eve. Money. And, it's just money. It, it's just money. But as we know, money, it's really yeah. important to some people. Yeah. And... Even with this layer, there's an extra layer to Bruce's more disturbing past. So 
before Sylvia, Bruce has an on and off relationship with a lady by the name of Elena Lusano. I believe that's how you pronounce her last name. Sorry, did you say before her? Before Sylvia. Okay. Yeah. Before meeting Sylvia and marrying her, he had this on and off relationship with Elena Lusano, and they actually had a son together whose name was Matthew. Now, in 2001, Bruce was watching the then 13-month-old while Elena went to the store. At some point, Matthew slipped away from Bruce, and they had a pool at the house. And as we've talked about, unfortunately, before, baby Matthew made his way into the pool. Oh, no. And Bruce found him. So Elena returns home from the grocery store to find Bruce holding this oh, unconscious shit. toddler and Matthew was rushed to the hospital right away where he was eventually resuscitated by, you know, doctors at the hospital. But unfortunately, Matthew ended up suffering brain damage that was so severe that it left him permanently wheelchair bound. Oh, wow. So great that we didn't have a death as a result of yeah. the drowning. But, you know, the long term damage is is equally right. devastating you know and it happened under his watch so it happened under his watch. mentally it probably fucked him up totally yeah so less than six months later bruce and elena ended their relationship and bruce just completely stopped visiting his son oh just was done with the situation Weird. he went from being at his son's bedside every single day when he was first in the hospital to six months later, now just having no problems with just up and walking out of his son's life. Some shitty parents out there. Seriously. And he also neglected to contribute to this substantial amount of medical bills. Oh, I can imagine. $340,000 was what racked up in the first year of Matthew's care oh, wow. after the accident. And Bruce had no interest in willingly contributing. And he made money. And he made money. So Elena ended up pursuing Bruce for his $100,000 homeowner's insurance policy. You know, like you said, he was feeling a lot of guilt, understandably, after this situation. And Elena sounds like she was a very kind woman and not vindictive and she felt that he was already kind of being punished enough by having to know that he was I mean pretty much responsible for what happened and so she just pursued him for his his $100,000 home insurance policy which she did end up winning. That's good I'm I'm surprised they didn't just pay that out. Right. Yeah I mean sorry have I said it before? I work for insurance. <laughs> I don't know that I have actually said that, but I work for insurance. And I have friends who do the, the home side mm-hmm. of insurance. And yeah, I think that would just be an accident. Right. That caused injury. Right. Um, and therefore it would be a payout. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that Especially was nice of her to just go after that. Totally. And in addition to that, they did work out where a trust was set up for a measly contribution of $240 a month from what? Bruce as payment throughout the rest of Matthew's life. 
That's nothing for your child. That's nothing. And especially not with the type of money that this man right. was theoretically making at this time. Right. I'm sure he was he was working for ITT at this time. And once that settlement was reached, Bruce stopped all communication with Elena and Matthew, like I said. But it's still rumored that Bruce had continued to claim Matthew on his taxes <gasps> oh. as a deduction yeah. after the fact. So I'm like, really, dude? Yeah. That's, that's a dick move. That's such a dick move. You don't even want to be a part of this kid's life and you're going to be the one to claim him on his taxes. So... That, that's what I could find through one source. But throughout all of this, Sylvia never knew about Matthew. Had no, what? I- had no idea that he had a son. Oh, wow. And so I think that that's part of the reason why he never wanted to have a joint bank account with her. Gotcha. Because she would, if she had been one of those wives yeah. that watches the bank account closely, she would have seen this continuous $240 payment. What is coming that? out? Yeah. What is that for? She would have had questions. Exactly. Or, you know, usually in those situations where there's a child support payment being made, it's made to a, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Some kind of median person. Oh, yeah. you know, so they right. probably issued it to the state and the state issues it to her. Exactly. So it would have been like $240 monthly to the state. She would have been like, what the hell? Yeah. What is that? If anything, like at least what is that? You exactly. Know? And yeah, he really would have had a parking ex- ticket. Yeah. Right. Every month. <laughs> Every month. Um, yeah. That's a big thing to hide from someone you married. Exactly. That is huge. Mm-hmm. Jeez. The fact that you have a son that she doesn't know about yeah it was pretty wild so that that's my theory on why he never wanted to i think he probably liked having control of his money but i think he just wanted to keep that whole part of his life yeah that's like in the past a red flag now in hindsight but she wasn't able to see that red flag because she didn't know exactly that he had this whole life before Mm -hmm. dang yeah so we're gonna go back to the night of the massacre uh the house is now Ablaze. It is just one big fireball. Oh, Police. it actually caught fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, From yeah. that pre explosion. Mm hmm. Oh, shit. Okay. He had already started spraying the house down with gasoline. He oh. had the tanks in there and it ignited. Wow. So the house is completely engulfed in flames when police arrive on scene. It's been described from one of the officers as like an apocalyptic type scene. The flames are blazing like 40 to 50 feet above Jeez. the house. It's just massive. And it took about 80 firefighters over an hour Damn. to put out the fire. That's a lot of people. The house is incinerated. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine the panic? Like, they have calls of people that are in the house mm-hmm. that they don't know if they're just injured or if they're actually already dead. Right. And now it's a flames. Like, that's... That's a scary situation to walk up onto. Super scary. And so police obviously begin questioning all of the survivors, and many of them immediately identify Bruce Pardo as the shooter. They also talk to some of the neighbors, and one of the neighbors tells police that they saw a car leaving their cul-de-sac around 11.45 p.m. So just to rewind and remind you, Bruce 
first knocked on the door at 11.30 at night. Yeah. And these neighbors claimed to see a car leaving at 11.45. So all of this happened in a matter of, like, 15, 20 minutes. Max. Max. So, so incredibly fast when you think about all of the damage that was done. So police immediately put out an APB on Bruce and his blue Dodge Caliber. Um, if you don't know what an APB is, it the acronym stands for All Points Bulletin, and it's basically huh. just a massive uh, form of communication to, like, literally all police officers. Mm. Like, be on the lookout for this person driving this type of car, all officers out there. Yeah. So... I thought, uh, I thought you were going to say, if you don't know what a Dodge Caliber looks like... Oh. <laughs> I need you to know what a blue Dodge Caliber looks like so you can identify this. That's funny. So, you know, they're doing all their questioning and whatnot and getting these calls made. And a short while later, the police get a call from, I hope I pronounced this right, but Silmar, California. It's about 40 minutes away from Covina heading like northwest, I believe. Okay. And it is a call from a gentleman named Brad Pardo. This is Bruce's brother. And he had just returned home from a Christmas party to find his brother shot and lying in a pool of blood in his home. (gasps) So it's later revealed that they found Bruce having committed suicide in his brother's home. They found an exit wound through the top of his skull with a bullet in the ceiling which only suggests that Bruce shot himself through the mouth. Mm-hmm. They found his body holding one of the 9 millimeter guns, which is the gun that he ended his life with. He also had one gun in his, in his lap, and the third one was on the floor next to him. Jesus. And a later coroner's report would also reveal um, toxicology results that he had traces of cocaine in his <gasps> blood and in his urine. Oh, so, from my take, this guy, I obviously he premeditated this yes. whole thing with the Santa suit and the flamethrower flame and the guns and all this other shit, but just got real hopped up on a line and was like, let's do this. Good. So. Talk about bad Santa. Bad, bad Santa. Jesus. Yeah, the baddest Santa. So... About a block away from his brother's house, the police find the Blue Dodge Caliber, which was only a rental car of Bruce's. It Mm. wasn't his own, you know, personal Personal car car that he owned. And in the car, they found his Santa suit. They also found, I found conflicting numbers on how many rounds of ammunition were in his car. Some said hundreds, others said Another said thousands. I think that thousands sounds a little extreme, but regardless, they found multiple rounds of ammunition still in the car. And the Santa suit was rigged with gunpowder. I don't know how all of this works, but he was an engineer, so I'm sure he figured out something. And with the suit being rigged like that and left in the car, if there was any sort of movement to the suit it could cause that gunpowder to explode. Wait, what? I It wasn't like, I'm sorry, when you said that, I initially my head went to gunpowder residue. So I was no. like, yeah, he's covered in gunpowder residue because mm-hmm. he's just shot. 
but I'm sorry, it was it was covered in like live powder. Is from, that what you're saying? From like, what the res, from what oh. the reports sound like, like he had rigged his suit intentionally, left it in this rental car so that anyone who came out to like mess with the car or mess with the suit, it would cause some form of explosion. Oh shit! In the car. Probably as an attempt it's, to get rid of any remaining evidence yeah, yeah, yeah. or anything else like that. So I thought that that was wild. Or he was ready to go in the flames, you know? But then he ran away, too. Yeah. That's wild. I don't think that that was part of his plan, and yeah. I'll tell you why. But, of course, the bomb squad is called in because oh, they yeah. can explode. see what what's going on. And... When the bomb squad came in and they were addressing the situation, the car did end up exploding. And there are pictures of the car after it ignited. And there were a couple different accounts that when they showed up, it exploded on its own, but no one was injured or they strategically detonated what what was going on. Right. So, but nonetheless, the bomb squad came in and they dealt with the situation. It makes me wonder if he was making his own ammo. Oh, he could have been. And maybe that's why. But he would have had to have been in his Santa suit while making it, which makes it even more terrifying. Mm-hmm. But, I, yeah. But, well, I mean, he is a smart person, so I don't right. know if that was on purpose. But that's wild. Yeah, I'm not sure. I wish there had been more details to break down, yeah. like, how things were, mm-hmm. like, actually set up, you know. But it sounds like... It was pretty, it was pretty rigged. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're dealing with this whole rental car situation and completely separate, a call comes in to the Pasadena police department about an abandoned car that's sitting down someone's street. And so someone comes out to look at this abandoned car, the police there run the plates and find that this car is also rented by Bruce Pardo. And when they go in and search the car, they find a computer, clothes, water, food, and maps of the United States and Mexico. This car was also parked about 500 feet from the house of Scott Nord, who was Sylvia's divorce attorney. So it is believed that Bruce also that evening had plans to eventually murder Scott as well. Damn. Yeah. So So. he definitely meant to get away from the the Ortega's house. A hundred percent. And go either at least to that house and contemplate it because he was so close or Mm -hmm. actually do it and then jump into a different car. Son of a bitch. Yep. And he had a much more intricate plan that the police believed to have um, been part of this whole crime. So suicide did not seem to be Bruce's original plan. When they found Bruce's body, he had $17,000 strapped to his leg. What? $17,000 in cash, like shrink wrapped to his leg. And they also later found that Bruce had a ticket for an Air Canada flight. The flight was booked to go to Illinois, not to Canada. He's also said to have a friend that lived in Illinois who he had just talked to, like, days prior. Uh Uh-huh. But given everything that was found in the 
the the getaway car, the mm-hmm. second car that they found mm-hmm. in Pasadena. Police believe that the plane ticket was pretty much only purchased as a tactic to try to throw police off of his trace. Right. Oh. And that his plan the whole time was to escape down to Mexico with the second rental with the car, car, the computer, the food, the water, and the cash that he had on his body. That's um, Ola Peterson. Yeah. Just running off to Mexico. Totally. Damn. Yeah, 100%. And so, like I mentioned before, because of that premature explosion, Bruce had been badly burned. And in the coroner's report later on, they would reveal that Bruce had second and third degree burns all over his body. Oh, wow. Like to the point where the Santa suit had melted two parts of his body. And it's believed that he didn't follow through with his full escape. Because of these injuries yeah. that he was left with. Because he was probably faced with go to the doctors, go to the emergency room, and get treated and get found out for immediately. Immediately. And face your day in court. Mm-hmm. Or try to continue on, but with probably writhing pain. And... And, like, not injuries that one would be able to treat on their own. Like, you would eventually need to see some doctor. Yeah. People would, I mean, locally would have known what had happened. So you would have to get really super far away. Yeah. In excruciating pain to finally see somebody. You would at least need to go to, like, Walgreens and get yourself some. (laughs) Yeah. Afterburn stuff. Exactly. And some gauze and stuff. Like, you're, you're not going to just blend into society no with all these burns not at all i mean this whole thing was such a thought out plan oh, yeah his getaway what he was gonna wear when he showed up yeah. what he was gonna bring even though he went into the house indiscriminately shooting he obviously had targets and the flamethrower that's not something you whip up with stuff laying around no You've he probably drew up some kind of schematic for it and shit. Mm-hmm. Like he knew what he was doing. Totally. Way before. A hundred percent. And waited for Christmas. Yeah. Because he knew they were all going to be together. Mm-hmm. Whoa. So the, what's the biggest way that I can get back? Yeah. So he knew that if he had gone to a hospital and actually been caught by the police, he was gonna live out the rest of his days in jail a hundred percent prison yeah with multiple different charges oh god being brought down on him so many arson murder attempted um, murder if attempted murder died. yeah or katrina would have been attempted murder exactly yeah. yeah damn so that's pretty much all of the details and all we really need to know about all of that but to pay respects to the victims and the people that were injured that evening. In total, nine people lost their lives. Damn. The grandparents, Joseph and Alice Ortega, their daughters, Sylvia, who was Bruce's ex-wife, and her sister, Alicia, uh, the sons or brothers, James, his wife, Teresa, Charles, his wife, Sherry, and the grandson, Michael. Who was upstairs. All of the victims are believed to have died 
by gunshot wounds, except for the grandson. He's believed to have died purely from the explosion oh. of the fire in the house since he was upstairs. Um, and all of their bodies were identified from dental records from oh the fire. My God. And for the wounded, we obviously have eight-year-old Katrina, right. who eventually made a full recovery. Thank God. There was also a 16-year-old in the house that had been shot in the back oh, but wow. did live. And then a 20-year-old girl who jumped from a second-story window and broke her ankle. Jesus Christ. So you have the three wounded and then the nine that lost their lives. I and can't imagine being in that situation where it's like jump out of a two-story, a second-story building to try and survive. Yeah. Because you hear just panic. You can't go downstairs. You hear panic downstairs. Exactly. And I don't know if, I mean, I don't know if, uh, well, obviously I don't know, but if, if you haven't been around a gunshot at close range and not at a shooting range or somewhere where you have ear protection, you have, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff, the shit is loud. Yeah. Shit is loud. Super loud. And to have it, like, be in a house? Um, jeez. And probably whizzing by you and, you know. Totally. I'm sure there was screaming and yelling. Oh, and yeah, just chaos. Just chaos. Parents just turning and fleeing, oh, instantly looking for their children who, you know, even yeah. though there was a good group gathered at the front door when it all initially went down, there yeah. were still a lot of people in the back of the house. So a lot of people did make it out and were able to, you know, leave. But That's so sad because a lot of the the people that, you know, passed or were killed um, were like the couple. So they probably, there's probably kids that were left completely without a mom or a dad. For sure. Or yeah. grandparents. Or grandparents. Shit. And then pretty much all the aunts and uncles are gone, except for Leticia was the only surviving child of yeah. the Ortega family. And she's now well, lost her two brothers, two sisters, yeah. and her parents. Damn. But thank God she didn't lose her daughter in the process also. Right? Well, had he been caught, he would totally been, I mean, obviously, life. If not, yeah. I don't know if California has still doing death penalty or not, but right. there's, uh, God, that's so many people. And the premeditation to it would have just yeah. sealed the deal. Like there's, like you said, there's, you weren't just doing mall Santa and then decided to go no. do this afterwards. Like he had to, did he go purchase a Santa suit just to do this? I'm sure. That is so fucking I'm evil. Sure. Yeah. That is so evil. It, it, it just it blew my mind and it it you know you start reading into some of these cases and like the story in of itself is like shocking and horrific and like oh my gosh and then you start digging into these people's pasts and yeah. you just find all these other different layers of what makes them the people that they are right and like he had a whole ass kid and a whole ass family and just just ghosted his kid yeah for no reason I mean, jesus i understand that to some degree 
having such a big thing happen in someone's life, like that leaves them on a wheelchair, you right? Know, that he's going to need care for the rest of your life. It's going to drain you. It's going to be mentally exhausting. And I'm not a parent, but God damn, I want to hope that I would not walk away from my kid like that. Hell no. I don't think I could. No. How could you? How could you? And then pretend that he doesn't exist. And then still claim them on your taxes. <laughs> he exists on my taxes. Yeah. What a dick. Yeah. So. Wow. You know, kind of like the case that we talked about last week where, you know, the guy just ends up taking his life at the end of it. Like, yeah. Some sort of satisfaction in that, but also, like, I would have loved for you to just have seen your day in court yeah. so that you could have been faced at least by Leticia God. for her to get her closure. Or Katrina, poor little girl. Or Katrina. God, what a trooper little girl. It's like one thing to go after your ex-wife, but then you, the first person who you decide to shoot at is almost at point blank range, and it's your eight-year-old niece. And all for what? Because she's happy now? Because she's getting $1,800 a month? Right. Which she's not even anymore because right. you lost your job. Right. It was one. It would be one thing where, you know, there's I, I've been watching a lot of snips on Facebook where they show... Um, like alimony court yeah. <laughs> or like child support court. Right. And if one of the parents or whoever is doing the child, um, the child support, the child support payments, if they change their job or their income on purpose, that's unlawful. Sure. And they're going to get reprimanded and they're still ordered to pay what they were supposed to. Just you have to figure out some way or it's right. going to keep adding up for you as a debt. Exactly. You can't go change your job. I saw one specifically that sticks out. She was like, she worked a corporate job. She got paid really well and she hated doing child support payments to her husband Mm -hmm. to the point where she quit that job, didn't get fired, didn't get demoted, didn't get laid off. She quit the job and went and got like a nine to five, like McDonald's job or something. And she's like, I need this adjusted to my McDonald's pay. And the judge is like, no. You are doing that to skip out on your payments on purpose. So, no, right. you're not getting what you're asking for. So, it would have been one thing if he, like, did that to work around the law and not pay her that alimony. But, no, you got fired. It would have been changed. And the it was ju- changed. <laughs> right. The judge would have been like, okay, you don't have any income. You don't have anything to pay right now. Exactly. So, wow. Yeah, just so frustrating. Just, just shocking. I mean, he obviously had a chip on his shoulder, yeah. and it drove him to the point of not just seeking her, but deciding to uh, take out everyone or take a shot at everyone. One massive cocaine induced. Jesus, Santa. <laughs> Santa. <laughs> That's the part that keeps tripping me up. I'm like, you know, this, this would have been. It would have been, I mean, it's obviously a sensational case, right? Like, it's, it, I'm sure it's been through the media a lot. Right. But had this gone through court, it would have been so easy to prove premeditation. Uh, yeah, there's no the, way yeah. anyone could deny yeah. any of that. Not <sighs> at all. Man, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, guys. <laughs> Beware of the person that buys a sand suit. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. No, please don't. If you are able to and you do have that tradition, please continue it. Do not let this deter you. Do not. <laughs> but also, no, this is my second case of covering like some sort of holiday where someone shows oh, up God. at a door. 
<laughs> oh yeah, that's right. In a costume or a mask, and it's yeah. uh, not who you're uh, thinking oh, it's gonna the be. The Halloween one was crazy. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, I hope you guys have a great week. Whatever you celebrate, I think a lot of celebrations are happening this week. Yes. So, um, whatever it is, I hope it, it comes with good food. Uh, and happy family. Yeah. <laughs> happy friend family time. Yes. All right, and we'll talk to you next week. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.